Hey, Nothing is Wasted family. Just wanted to jump on for a second before you listen to this episode and let you know that as a team, we have decided to resume our regularly scheduled content that we have programmed because we know many of you guys are still dealing with different types of trial. So for that reason, we're going to continue with what we had planned, releasing podcast episodes every Thursday. And at the same time, we also know these topics of racism, racial prejudice, equality, and justice are very important topics. And they're topics we want to engage with. They're topics that we want to have a voice in. And we want to utilize our platform to point people to restoration, reconciliation, hope, and forgiveness. And so over the next couple of months, our team is going to be doing our due diligence to make sure that we bring the right voices to the table to provide content that's going to help you live, learn, and lead through these times. And where we can discuss these topics in ways that point you and I to Jesus. For now, as we are preparing these open conversations, our team is praying that this episode and the next several episodes provide you with hope. Welcome to the Nothing is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn. Hello, welcome to the Nothing is Wasted podcast. My name is Davey. I'm your host. And this is officially the three-year anniversary of the Nothing is Wasted podcast. We are so thrilled to be celebrating this with you. So glad that you've come along as the Nothing is Wasted community, as a family to us, kind of an extended family um, to, to the Blackburn family and to uh, the ministry that is happening here. So we're so thankful that you are a listener that you have been raving fans of this and shared this with other people. And as we're helping people live, learn, and lead through their pain. Uh, we were just checking the other day, we were checking stats, and um, we actually don't have the number of downloads s- since we started the podcast because we switched over some software. But as of November of 2018, we've seen over a half a million downloads. That's crazy. Like, guys, that's crazy. When you think, just put the number million in there is nuts. And we're just super thrilled that God has, um, he's put his, his Holy spirit breath on this to carry this message out of hope and healing. And, uh, I pray that you're being served by it. And, um, man, we've got a lot of great things planned for this particular episode. Maybe you've already seen it. Perhaps it's rolled out by now. It's kind of iffy with iTunes, but we have a brand new look for the nothing is wasted podcast on iTunes. And, um, We have a a new look, but we also have something new as well that I'm going to announce here in just a second. This is going to be a little bit different of an episode. And let me tell you, I did not want to do this episode. I didn't want to do it like this, but my team came to me and said, Davey, I think this is important for you to do this. Um, It was actually prompted by someone who is in our Nothing is Wasted community as a community group guide. And she was asking questions, Davey, we don't know a whole lot about you um, other than some, you know, small things here and there that you've shared throughout the podcast, but normally I'm on the interviewer side of the microphone. And so um, the team kind of pulled my, uh, what's the the phrase, twisted my arm and said, hey, we want to interview you. I said, nope. And then we asked a few other people and they said, yeah, we'd like to interview you. So um, that's that's what we're going to do. And I have something really special to announce. Uh, we thought it would be perfect in conjunction with this special birthday episode to have s- the new co-host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast be the one interviewing me. 
And so without further ado, let me introduce to you the brand new co-host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, Aubrey Sampson. Aubrey. Woohoo! So great to see you. Hey, it is so good to be here officially in an official capacity <laughs> and especially for this episode of all episodes. I am oh, so honored to get to be here to kick off with this one, the third birthday episode where you're finally going to share your story, Davey. That's a big deal. It, it is. Yeah, it's a big deal. I know people have heard bits and pieces of it. We have, haven't really gone into all of the different avenues and angles that we could. Um, and so I'm kind of nervous about some of the questions you're going to ask because I know you're a really good interviewer. You should be. And, uh, you should be really nervous. <laughs> and I know you usually ask profound questions. As an Enneagram 4, you want to get into the like deep stuff. And so this is... That's right. We're not messing around. We're not staying in the shallow end. We're going straight to the deep end. Oh, it's going to be really good. And Christy is going to be here too, which Christy is going to be, be amazing. Christy will be joining us for part of it. That's right. And uh, we yeah. just thought this was a perfect way to uh, just kind of uh, the conjunction of this celebrating three years. We've been um, over the past several months having guest co-hosts. We loved every single one of our guest co-hosts. want to thank, so, thank you guys so much for filling in. And Aubrey's going to be taking that role as of July 1st. So it might be a little bit confusing because the rest of this month, you're going to hear from another guest co-host, Brittany Brooker. Um, and then, then Aubrey will be starting in July. And, uh, this is, this is just going to be a lot of fun. Aubrey quickly, just share with us a little bit about yourself before we kind of transition and dive into this episode. Yep. Real quick. My husband and I are church planters. I'm an author and a speaker, and this is, I'm just really excited to see what God's going to do through nothing is wasted. And yeah, can't wait. Can't wait to get started. Well, one of the things that God's been really press, pressing on our hearts is adding more and more voices to the mix when it comes to Nothing is Wasted. Uh, we don't want this ministry built around the Blackburns, although we are absolutely, the, our story has been kind of the catalyst for Nothing is Wasted, right. but it's about way more than just our story. It's about so many yeah. other people's stories and giving life to so many other people's stories. And there are a lot of voices, including yourself, Aubrey, that have a lot of great things to say about pain and suffering and so many other different topics. And so uh, this is just really exciting for us to begin adding some other voices to Nothing is Wasted. And we've got a lot of dreams coming up for what potentially this could mean in the future down the road. Oh, I can't wait. But, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to share that stuff yet until there's more concrete. That's right. Uh, plans. Good so. things. Good things to come for sure. <laughs> a lot of fun stuff. So anyways, I think uh, we're going to try to jump into this interview and uh this is going right, to be interesting. All right, are you ready? I don't know. I know I'm not ready. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be good. Here we go. Well, hey, Davey, I'm so thrilled that you're willing to dive in and share your story yeah. today. Um, I know it's a vulnerable one, and I feel like this is really sacred space. And so I am honored to get to have this conversation with you. Before we dive into kind of your big tragedy, I would love just to talk about what life was like growing up for you. What mm -hmm. was, you were a pastor's kid, right? Yep. Yep. PK, pastor's kid. PK. Um, I have three yep. of those. <laughs> so, you know, because I was a pastor's kid, we moved around a lot. I was born in Indianapolis. Six months later, we moved to Topeka, Kansas. We lived there for two years. Moved back to Marion, Indiana, lived there for two years. Moved to Jackson, Mississippi, lived there for two years. Wow. And then moved to Birmingham, Alabama, which is where we settled for the next 10 years. So okay. I was seven years old when we settled into Birmingham. And, um, you know, being a pastor's kid is, uh, 
is really interesting because you grow up in the church, you kind of like are accustomed to everything. I'm really grateful on this side of things that I, I was a pastor's kid, but it wasn't always, you know, the, the most like fun life growing up. Um, sure. I think we made the most of it, but it was, you know, you're, you're at church a lot. You're just, you know, you're there all the time, like board meetings. Yeah, my and, kids would say that too. We're always at church. You're always <laughs> at church, mom and dad. Which, you know, looking back on it, I'm like, that's really amazing because it instilled inside of me this this desire to do ministry. And so yeah. even small things like growing up, we would always have like the Christmas Eve communion service that our family would serve all the families. They'd come in on in rotations and we'd serve all the families communion. And that was kind of our family ministry thing to do on Christmas Eve. And then we would go sing to the shut-ins and pass out Christmas cookies. Mm. You know, and growing up, you're like, I just want to get to the Christmas stuff, right? Right, right. But, but like, as I got older, I began to appreciate the what that was doing and what that was instilling in me that this, you know, this Christmas season and on a broader scale, life is not about us and it's not about material possessions and it's not about the things that we can accumulate and collect. It's mm. about... It's That's about good. sowing into the kingdom and it's about yeah. living your life for the kingdom. So now I even, it's valuable to me to think about, okay, how can we as a family, you know, me and Christy and Weston and Natalia and Cohen, how do we as a family do ministry? Um, and so while I was a kid, I wasn't necessarily thinking, oh, I want to model my family life exactly off of this. Now I, right. now I do. And so, yeah, I mean, Birmingham, Alabama for 10 years, I was, you know, seven years old when we moved there okay. and at eight years old. Um, I remember going to an Easter play. It was April 1st, 1994. I went to an Easter play and it was one of those, I, I don't know if you, I don't know if you ever, you know, that. do you remember like judgment houses? Did Was that a thing up here? <laughs> um, right. They were in place of like trick or treating. Yes. Good. I'm so glad that you, you remember go that. And yeah. they'd say you were going to hell. Yeah. It was one of those where you like, you hell. they'd yeah. scare the hell out of you literally. Healthy right. evangelism back in the day. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. So, you know, it's, they're taking you to all these different scenes. Typically there's a car wreck and, you know, ha- the everybody dies in, yes. the, in the car and half the people go to hell and half the people go to heaven. And then they show you hell, yes. they show you heaven and they take you to a room. They say, which one do you want? So disturbing and, thinking. Yeah, it really is. That. It really is disturbing. But it was a play similar in nature that I went to, but it was it was very different. It mm. was similar in the sense they took you to all of these scenes and all of these rooms, but it was different in that it was, you know, very, it was done really well. And instead of, you know, kind of coercing you to make a decision for yeah. Christ, they Terrifying just showed you. you yeah, it was because it was an Easter play, they showed you the life of Jesus. Oh, and that's so nice. for the first time, as I'm walking through these rooms, I began being drawn to this man, Jesus. Hmm. I, I started feeling like, man, this is like, you know, he was uh, a friend of, of sinners. The people who were most unlike him, liked him the most. Hmm. Just You were just compelled to, they did a good job portraying him, I think. I in all love the scenes. that. And the last scene And so was, that's when you came to Christ. Yeah. So the last scene was in the sanctuary and there was on, on the cross, the three criminals, Mm-hmm. Um, well, three, you know, two criminals on either side of Jesus, yeah, right? right? Jesus, right. Di- Jesus on a, on a, in a criminal's death right here. And the, they were showing the portrayal of Jesus dying. And I had not, I was like, I did not know Jesus. I didn't know that you went through all of this for me. Mm. And, um, as I'm watching this, the scene stops and the pastor comes out and he says, uh, Jesus was murdered for my sin and for your sin. Wow. And, um, that's a very, very, that's a very important thing to, to note because I look back on that now and I'm like, wow, like the phraseology of Jesus was murdered for my sins. Like I murdered Jesus that Mm. 
I, I can't believe providentially that that's how God wrote my salvation story. So right. the scene starts back up and immediately you hear Jesus say this thing from the cross, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Mm. And I remember just bawling my eyes out. Right Beautiful. I, was, I was with a friend of mine and I was embarrassed. So I went to the end of the pew and I just, I just cried. I'm like, Jesus, I, I didn't know. I, I'm sorry. Will you come into my life? Will you forgive me my sins? And, um, mm. and that's when I gave my life to Jesus. That's awesome. But from like eight years old till I was 18, I kind of lived that, you know, pastors, uh, there's two types of pastors, kids. There's the rebellious pastors kid. And then there's the religious pastors kid. Right. Right. You have the Which one, one were you, I was the religious one, but okay. I, but I, but Jesus was not like always necessarily the Lord of my life. You know, I didn't yeah. do anything bad. I didn't rebel in any big way. I didn't have, you know, um, but my decisions were not necessarily being completely based around my relationship with Jesus. There were seasons, there were seasons where I was like, oh man, I'm waking up early and I'm doing my quiet time. And that's part of, that was probably part of more of my three nature. That's like, uh, interesting. I'm, I'm going to did the right thing. Yeah, check it off the box. Exactly. Goal oriented, ambitious. Yeah. Like I'm going to be the best, you know. Christian that I can be, but at the same time, my values and my affections were for other Mm. things. My values and my affections were for sports. You know, they Mm. were for trying to build my own kingdom. And so from the time I was, um, eight till I was 18, my focus was on, uh, getting a, getting a scholarship to play division one baseball. Okay. Uh, becoming an orthopedic surgeon. Oh, and, um, and it, I didn't want to do anything. I didn't want to do the ministry life. You know, I, it just, yeah. I, I felt like there were, there were oftentimes my parents would be like, well, we can't do that because we can't afford that or we can't, you know, yes. and I didn't understand the value of sacrificing for the kingdom at the time. And so right. I just resolved, well, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to make sure that my family is provided for and that we don't ever have that kind of excuse. We can do so what I'm we gonna do. So I'm going to be an orthopedic surgeon. So like I'm, I'm going to be an orthopedic surgeon. Make the most money I can possibly make or exactly. be a professional baseball player or whatever. Right. Exactly. But something happened your senior year, right? That ended up being really yep. impactful. Was it kind of around that time it frame is. at age 18? Yeah. So, um, junior year, I was on track to do exactly what I had mapped out for my life. I was, uh, I was going to a school called Jefferson County International Baccalaureate School, which is like a special placement school where they also allowed you to do a co-op with what you wanted to do for a future career. So every Wednesday I was working for the best orthopedic surgeon in the country. Oh, wow. Um, I was, uh, uh, he, he would operate on all the SEC, SEC athletes and professional athletes. So I was watching oh, these wow. surgeries. So my track was set. I was receiving some offers, various offers from large division one schools to play ball. And so Mm -hmm. I thought I was there, I was ready to go. And then right between my, I had a fantastic junior season, incredible junior season of baseball. And that's huge for, you know, getting looked at by, by scouts. But right after my junior year of high school, my dad comes to us and says, Hey, I'm resigning at the church that, that we're pastoring. So it's a church that he had pastored for 10 years. And just kind of like out of nowhere in our turn. I mean, now I talk to him and I'm like, oh, I see all the progression of it. But at the time for us as kids, it was like, wait, what? You had no idea. No idea. And Mm. he said, we're we're not sure where we're going to move yet. We've got several different interviews we're going to 
we're going to do, but um, right now we just know we're resigning at the church. And that's your junior year or your senior year? That was after my junior year of high school. Wow. So that's a hard time anyway for a big transition like that. So right before your senior year of high school, you're looking at changing schools, changing friend groups, changing sports Mm. teams, changing, literally uprooting everything. And, uh, for, a for, a, for, a, for a little while I was, I was very bitter about that. Um, yeah. we finally decided, they decided they were going to move to Tuscaloosa, which is not that far away from Birmingham, about an hour or so at the, but this was pre cell phone days. This was pre, right. you know, AIM was the closest thing yeah, we had, you right. know? So this is essentially, you're starting all over cause you're not going to mm-hmm. drive an hour to go visit your friends all the time. And there was something for whatever reason, Aubrey, when my dad told us this, he actually gave me the option to stay in Birmingham because he knew how disruptive this was going to be for like my mm-hmm. dreams. Yeah. But, but there was something like the, the book of Ruth popped into my head and I, I know it was the Holy spirit because I had never really thought about, but the, all I could think of was where you go, I'll go. Your God will be my God. And I just knew there was something that God had done in me that wow. junior year that I knew that if God had something for my parents, he had something for me. Well, that must have hmm. been the Holy Spirit in that moment because that entire summer I started driving back and forth from Birmingham to Tuscaloosa almost every day to play for a ball team. And no way. Aubrey, this was the moment this was the season where I was I like hashed it out with God. I was so angry. I was not playing well. So that added, you know, yeah. that added like salt to the wound that was like I wasn't in a good headspace. And finally this coach that was coaching this team, I had no idea that he had been praying for a shortstop and praying for a spiritual leader on the team. And after like, you know, probably, I don't know, three or four weeks into the season, he pulls me aside after a strikeout, after I strike out one time. And I know this seems trivial, but this sets up everything that like, I feel like the Lord began to do in my life. He pulls me aside over on third base and he lays into me. And I did not know he was a believer until this moment. And he goes, Davey, you and I both know God did not call you here to play baseball. God called you here to do ministry and to make an Come impact on. on this team. Come on. And I had ne- I'd never thought about that. And wow. I had no idea that this guy loved Jesus. Turns out he was a youth pastor. Like mm. that was his side job as a youth pastor. He was coaching his ball team. And I just remember that being a major turning point where, where essentially the Lord, the Lord spoke to me in that moment. I didn't have a whole lot of terminology for it, but it, it felt like he was saying, you can make what you want of this yeah. by how you choose to respond. Yeah. I have something for you here, but you get to make but the choice But you here. get to choose whether or not you're going to lean into it. Yep. Exactly. It's, it's interesting to me hearing that. And then I want to, I want to move into uh, kind of skip ahead to how you met Amanda, mm-hmm. but it's interesting to me hearing about how Jesus drew you to himself. And then even this story that kind of changed your heart and, and started to God started to speak to you that both of those were around suffering, you know, like Jesus is suffering really impacted you. And then even this situation, I mean, it's a suffering to have to move and have your parents transition everything. It was the biggest suffering I had gone through. Yeah. It's interesting to me that that's a theme mm -hmm. that God has clearly used in your life. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, so (laughs) that fall, fall of my senior year, I still was on this bent toward, I'm going to go play division one baseball. I was going, I was driving back to Birmingham playing at a camp. I thought I was going to go play at the school, Birmingham Southern college 
Division One at the time. They had just won the NAIA World Series, moved to Division One. If anybody wow. follows baseball, Division One baseball, they opened up that year with LSU, beat them two of three. I mean, like they were legit. Mm. And I had grown up playing ball with this coach's son. His name's Coach Shoop, wow. Coach Brian Shoop. And so I thought I was going to get recruited to go play. And so I'm playing at this fall league. And he calls me up that fall. He goes, Davey, I... I've been wrestling with this, but I, I vowed a long time ago I would not recruit a friend of the family. <gasps> Come on. So I can't recruit you, but I will, I will help you get wherever you want to go. You name the place, I'll make, I'll make a phone call. So, um, okay. Wow. So, you know, wow. we're trying to figure out, trying to work out different places and all this sort of deal. But he was so, you could tell he was torn up over that. I was torn up mm. over that. Of course. And so then I tried to go different places. I went up to Clemson University. I tried. I had a private trial up there and um, thought that was going to be where I was going to go. I had, was at the time kind of following a girl who was a year ahead of me who went to this <laughs> small school called Southern Wesleyan University. And um, so I was like, well, I'll go play ball at Clemson and maybe this girl and I can date. We had been dating off and on throughout high school. Okay. Well, God used all of this to draw me to Southern Wesleyan because on the way back from Clemson, my mom said, why don't you try out at Southern Wesleyan University as a fallback plan? I said, no, huh. I'm not going to do that. I don't want to play a small school like that. I got that. big plans. I'm I got going big to plans. Yeah, absolutely. And she said, um, just try it. So we did. I did a tryout. They offered me a full ride scholarship to play. Come on. But their stipulation was you need to sign on January 1. Otherwise, the scholarship money is going to have to be made available to other people. So this was fall of my senior year of high school. Okay. January oh, 1, you if you're tracking. Wow. Okay. So I'm like, okay, wow, this is a big decision. All of a sudden, all of the doors started closing, D1 doors. Mm. Clemson signed another shortstop, all of these different things. I'm like, mm. what in the world, God? Well, then December 27th or so of that year, I go to a massive youth conference in Charlotte, North Carolina. And this old guy gets up the Sunday of that. I don't remember the exact date, but the Sunday of that conference. And I mean, one of those old guys, it looks like he got off the ark with Noah, you know, like, <laughs> and I'm like, I, I'm not listening to a single word this guy said. And especially when the words came out of his mouth today, I want to talk to you about a full-time call to ministry. I was like, no, well, that's not me. So see ya. I'm not. So I checked out the entire message. I just didn't listen. And at the end of the message, Aubrey, he said, if you feel called to full-time ministry, I want you to stand up, get out of your seat and walk to the back. And I, I was like, I don't know what came over me other than the Holy Spirit, but I stood mm. up and I started walking to the back and I get halfway back and I was like, wait a minute, what am I doing? Yeah. And in a moment, this rush of peace came over where the Lord basically whispered into my soul, this is what I have built you for. This is why I moved you. Mm. This is this is the reason for everything that you have gone through is for me to get mm. you to a place where you're ready to listen to me to call you to ministry. Wow. Wow. But that was like December 28th or something like that. Come on. And here's this full-time offer to go to a Bible school to play baseball. Unbelievable. That I have to sign by January 1. Unbelievable. Look so, at what God did. That's amazing. So I go to, I end up going to Southern Wesleyan University. So at Southern Wesleyan, um, needless to say, this girl that, you know, she and I dated all growing up, we didn't, that, that was not Amanda. Okay, at Southern I, Wesleyan. I, I assumed it wasn't, and it's never a good <laughs> idea to follow a girl to school, but. Yeah, right. <laughs> but it but led you to Amanda, it. right? He used it. That's right. So at school, um, I meet this guy named Gavin. 
and it was our freshman year. And he and I used to joke all the time. We need to go to Clemson, meet a couple girls who are best friends who love Jesus. <laughs> we can just hang out all the time. We just like become best friends. He was a golfer. I was a baseball player, similar athletic interests, similar uh, missional interests, you know, just, just wanted to do something profound for the kingdom. Yeah. And after our freshman year, he comes back from that freshman summer and he goes, dude, I just started dating this girl that I dated in high school. Her name's Amber, but she's got this sister that I, I need to introduce you to. Like you guys would majorly hit it off. And I'm like, dude, that doesn't work long distance. Like, you know, I found out she was a senior in high school, so I'm like, she's younger. I'll never be able to oh, let that yeah. down on the baseball team. Not doing that. I'm a that, college right? guy. Yeah, now. exactly. No, 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 no. That doesn't work. And he <laughs> goes, just come up with me over fall break, and I'll introduce you guys, and um, and we'll see where it goes. So I go with him to Elkhart, Indiana, over fall break, and we go to a Hawk Nelson con- concert. <gasps> yeah. Hawk Nelson. Of course, I was a youth leader in the oh, day when Hog Nelson was making music. Yeah, so this was like when they were underground and before they got went on like oh you know, before they got cool. Yeah, before they got that's yeah. the best time to know about bands when you right? know them underground exactly. Um, so went to, went there and then we went to Steak and Shake afterwards and we did a milkshake drinking contest because I'm trying to be so all flirtatious and cute and. <laughs> uh, and uh, I, I crack a joke while she is drinking her milkshake and she shoots milkshake out of her nose. No, she laughing. did it. Out yeah. of her nose? Out of her nose. She's laughing, spewing everywhere. And You're I like, just. This is the one. That's this what is I said. That's for exactly. Me. I looked across the table. I'm like, <laughs> I could look at this face for the rest of my life. This oh, is, I love it. So, so I call my mom and I'm like, Mom, I met the girl of my dreams. And my mom's like. Oh, you like, really did. I mean, you really did. I really did to... that night. I called my mom. I said, I met Aww. the girl of my dreams. And my mom was like, She literally said, Who are you and what have you done to my son? <laughs> What? Because I, I just I just didn't really do I didn't date a lot in high school. I was pretty Yeah, you know, just kind of I just I don't know. I and so um I was very picky, I was very particular and and to fall fast and hard like that was yeah. out of character for me. So how long until you guys got married and then how long until the Lord called you guys to plant resonate? So we did a long distance dating relationship for um uh, two and a half years or so. And when I graduated college and she graduated with an associate degree, we got married. We actually did a double wedding with Gavin and his, his is- fiance, girlfriend, <laughs> wife now, right? Which is Amanda's sister. Which was Amber. Amber. Yep. So this um, is, uh, this is awesome. Yeah. A double well, wedding. If you didn't hear that, I'd like to, <laughs> I'd like you to say that again. We did a double wedding. Well, part of it was we wanted to get, we were, you know, we were both, both couples were very serious and we wanted to get married in the same summer. And their dad goes, we can't afford that unless you guys do a double wedding. He said it jokingly thinking he would deter the right. girls and the girls One were like, you would wait. that would be amazing. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> So they did. And, uh, they like planned it that summer and we, yeah. So we, um, 2008, we got married double wedding August 1st and we, um, uh, immediately Amanda and I moved to South Carolina. I had already started a job there at new spring church in South Carolina as a youth pastor. I started earlier when I graduated in May of that year of 2008, we get married in August. She moves down to South Carolina with me and we just set up life and we were leading a youth group. We were at one of the, the, the first satellite campus that new spring had started and we were loving it. I mean, we, it was a ministry. I wish I could get into all the impacts of that ministry, but it it was a ministry that showed us the potential of the local church, Mm. you know, like what, what God could do when you really just 
seek first his kingdom and you, and you focus on building the local church. And, and so we grew passionate about the local church and we grew passionate about seeing people come to know uh, Christ. And we grew passionate about serving and living your life on mission. And I mean, it was very shaping for us, but about three and a half years into it, God started knocking on our hearts to, um, to, to leave. And it didn't make any sense. Aubrey. Yeah. Yeah. We were being handed we had several options of opportunities to kind of move up that new spring ladder. And um, we just didn't feel at peace with any of them. And there was this stirring and this wrestling that for about eight months we could not shake. Wow. And it was God calling us to plant Resonate Church yep. in Indianapolis. Wow. And so um, there's a long calling story, but essentially what the listener has to know is it is unmistakable unmistakable, the craziest things happening that God was showing us and confirming to us. I'm calling you to Indianapolis. And had we said, like, if I was sitting here and I told you the entire calling story, Aubrey, and I said, yeah, but we decided just to stay there. You would come across the table and you would have punched me like, in the smack face. Like you, across the you face. are Jonah right now. What are you doing? You know? Wow. It was and that obvious. The Lord was calling you both. So obvious. Which, I love when the Lord works that way instead of like in mysterious ways. It's yeah. nice when you know, okay, it's, this it's is what God is calling us to do. It's important. One, I tell people like you need to make sure that you are following God's call no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. That you're following God's call because, and I tell pastors this, church planters, you know, anybody really that's trying to discern the voice of God, discern the call of God. I tell them when things go awry, because they will, you know, when something happens, when crisis hits, you need to know that God called you to this space. That's right. And he's not leaving you here. And so for me, I think it was because of that, that transition right before my senior year of high school mm. that gave me confidence to know that like, you, I can walk in the unknown and God's going to show up. Because what I didn't mention is that even though that senior, my senior year of high school, after that, like, that should have been the worst year of my life. That was Aubrey, the best year of my life, like of my wow. upbringing. God surrounded me with incredible people, some mm. friends of mine. They're still lifetime friends. Um, incredible like experiences with sports that year. Mm. It just it was like God brought blessing of like years of blessing and wrapped it into one year for for being obedient. And it was a lesson that God taught me. It's amazing when we look back on our lives, you know, you get to a certain age, you can start looking back and see, okay, God did do this and right. God did do this. And he brought you all those blessings in the middle of that hardship. Yep. Yep, yep. Absolutely. Okay. So you and Amanda then moved, you follow, followed God's call to church plant, which I know how crazy that can be because my <laughs> husband and I are church planters. Yep. So what was that like? Yeah. Well, uh, it is really important to note that the date we moved was November 11th, 2011. Um, in, <gasps> So the reason that's important, you know, and I'll go ahead and say it because many people have heard this already. They know the date, the date that Amanda, the date that is written on Amanda's tombstone is November 11th, 2015. Mm. You know, because wow. the, the tragedy happened November 10th where you know my home was broken into and then she was officially declared dead November. So, so four years to the, the day after date. we moved. Yeah. Four years to the date. To the date. Wow, yeah. Davey. Wow. So let's, it, um, we'll go ahead. Well, I was just, I mean, I was just going to say that some people look at that and they can, you know, they can go, what in the world does that mean? Was But those are yeah. instances where 
I, I think God in, in the way that he needs to do it for each individual person, he ministers, the Holy Spirit ministers to people's mm. hearts in the middle of tragedy. And they, and he shows them details that he's in just to remind them, Hey, I'm in this and That's I've got right. a great story for you. I've got a great thing from this, but like, That's I just right. want you to know I'm walking with you in this and, and I'm in the details of this. So, you know, we moved November 11th, 2011 and we, you know, we did what's called parachute drop church planting. I didn't realize that's what you called it until afterwards, but it's right. basically moving into a, a city that you don't have networks in or a town that you don't have networks in. You don't know anybody and kind of starting from scratch. And I was told this will yep. be the hardest thing you've ever done. And I'm like, yeah. you know, I've done some hard things. Like I've led ministries before I've started ministries before I've always everywhere I've gone kind of done an entrepreneurial type start of any ministry yeah. and stuff. And so I'm like, this shouldn't be that hard. It was Aubrey, as you know, the hardest thing (laughs) (laughs) up to that point we had ever done. I mean, we're, you know, I always say that like, we felt like God called us to plant a forest, but dropped us in the middle of a parking lot. You're just like, that's right. Yep. Where do you start? And so we were, I feel like we were naive in the sense Mm. that I was so passionate about seeing people come to know Christ. There were a couple of mistakes that we made. One, I would make statements like, Hey, we're going to build this church um, on the backs of people who who don't know Christ and they get saved at, at Resonate and they we grow them up and then we unleash them for ministry. And it's like, that's an ambitious and really noble thing to do. And it is the Great Commission totally. that God calls us to do. But but remember, that takes time. That people are not microwaved. You know, they can't <laughs> just like all of a sudden. It took us about two years to finally get like a core group of 50 people. Okay. What we would consider like, these are 50 people that understand what we're trying to do that are bought into it. And so at that point, that was like the end of 2014. Okay. So, you know, by this time we had had Weston, Weston was born in July of 2014. So at the end of 2014, we started feeling like God was calling us to relaunch the church Kind of with this new team. With this core group of 50. Core team. Yeah. yeah, which most church planters start with a core team. That's what they're going to start with, yeah. right? And they would kind of build their yeah. launch team and they would go. So we did that February of 2015. We relaunched the church. Um, it didn't go exactly the way we expected. We thought it would be like, oh man, day one, we're going to have 400 people. We're just going to build from there. You know, we, right. we have these grandiose ideas. You sort of have to in order to even start. You right? do. Well, um, I want to shift a little bit, if you're okay, mm-hmm. Davey, and talk about the tragedy with Amanda, mm-hmm. because obviously that's a central part of your story and your ministry and um, something I know that the listeners want to hear about um, so why don't you just kind of talk about what you feel comfortable yeah. and safe talking yeah. about? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we going into the fall of 2015, after we had kind of relaunched, we had, we were running, touching over just about a, a hundred people weekly. And we were thinking, wow, we're actually, there's momentum. Like we're actually yeah. starting to, this is this thing that God has birthed. It's starting to, to move. Mm-hmm. And, um, I remember going away on a retreat at the end of October with our team and uh, it was like a planning strategy retreat. And one of them, a very profound moment was we did a little like worship night together to kind of prepare our hearts for the strategy. And we're all huddled up in this old fitness room and praying and the Holy spirit fell in that room in just a really profound way. We all felt Mm it. Um, Wow we kind of leave some space open for prayer and Amanda started praying and she prayed this really big prayer of like surrender. 
is what the hmm. theme felt like. And then it prompted all these other prayers of surrender. And I felt so heavy with what was happening in that room that I, I, I went to the center of that room and just dropped to my knees and just, we were, as we're, as we're praying and worshiping, I just prayed, Lord, I just feel like you're telling us that we're moving into a season of surrender. And so we do, mm. we surrender wow. whatever this is you have for us. We surrender. Mm. And we have, we actually have a picture of that. Um, it's really profound. And, um, that was the weekend before, uh, um, November 10th. So I guess it was wow. the very beginning of November, not the end of October. Wow. Um, and so we, you know, come back from that retreat. Monday was normal. Sunday was normal. Monday was normal. And Tuesday morning, I, you know, um, as I've shared several times when walk in coming back from the gym and walk in mm-hmm. to find Amanda face down in a, in a pool of blood. And so, you know, this is, this is the part we've shared a lot of. So I know we want to try to, um, spend yeah. some time kind of diving into like, what was it, what was the healing yeah. and aftermath like, but yeah. you know, for those who don't know what happened was, uh, three men broke into my house that morning while I was away at the gym, they broke into the house next to me, saw me leave for the gym, came into the house and Amanda got caught up in the scuffle and, um, they shot her three times. Weston was in his crib the entire time and, um, he was unharmed, but we were pregnant with our second. Mm. And so, you know, um, Amanda was officially declared deceased the 24 hours later and on November 11th. And, um, so obviously we lost Amanda and, Little Evie. Little Evie. It's a little baby girl. That was Amanda's hunch. It was too early for us to know because it was yeah. only 13 weeks. But yeah. she had that the like, Holy Spirit was she talked her, about though. it. That was and Evie. She was, yeah. Yeah. And she was gathering girl stuff for the nursery yeah. and all of that. Yeah. And she just, and so we had already decided we were going to name her Everett Grace. If oh, I love it. And, and call her Evie. I love it. What a great, perfect name. Um, so obviously Davey, that's not something that anyone can imagine walking through. You never imagine you're going to open your door and just walk into an actual nightmare. Mm-hmm. And you did. And, um, thank you for sharing that. Thanks for yeah. sharing that with the world. Um, I'm curious, obviously it must have been a long process and probably a process that you're still in towards healing and even forgiveness Yeah. Um, for Amanda's killers. I can't, for me, it's hard to even, I mean, I, don't, I almost don't even want to say the word forgiveness because it's right, like, no, right. you can't forgive something like that. Yeah. But I know that's part of your journey. So especially in those early days, what was kind of the aftermath and the process like for you processing all of that? Yeah. Well, you know, the thing that people need to understand is that the very, very beginning, you know, they're just, you're just in this fog of shock. Like your Mm -hmm. world is completely upside down. So you have no idea what's, what side is up and what side is down. And, and, um, you know, I mean, just moments, the different things stick out to me. Like I'll never remember getting, I'll never forget getting in the car with my mom after like leaving the hospital for the last time and thinking like, like I'm going like, where am I going? And I'm leaving Amanda. Like, this isn't, this just isn't right. Like, so you're just disoriented. And, um, fortunately we had a really great launch church in new spring 
that you know sent us or launched us to Indianapolis that then also during the tragedy came around us and they immediately sent teams on the ground and they said, Hey, we're going to help. We're just going to help you navigate this. There was one particular, a couple of gals, but led by Suzanne Swift that helped us navigate all the media firestorm because that's a whole nother element of all of this that I mean, this I can't was like even a imagine national, that Davey, right? Yeah. So, you know, imagine you're in the middle of trying to grieve and figure out and sort through what just happened all the while, you know, you have media all over Indianapolis that are hunting down your staff members and trying to, they Come find on. finding out where they live and it's, it's a story. And so one of the things we, this, this team at Newspring, they knew that they, they knew that Amanda and I were, had always been passionate about making sure Jesus was the highlight of any story. And yeah. uh, that was Amanda's life. That's what she would have wanted in her death is to make sure that Jesus was put on display. Yeah. And we also know that the media is, you know, their, their MO is not that they're the, that's, that's right. That's right. They want to find an angle or story or clickbait or whatever. And so we decided strategically, we're going to say yes to certain outlets that we can trust that will allow us to talk about Jesus. Okay. And, you know, so what, you know, like I look back on, and I've watched some of those interviews that I had and I just look like numb. Like I, you know, I like mean, I don't even me. know how you had the wherewithal to do interviews, honestly. Yeah. And, and it was really motivated out of when something like that happens, that's so just, it doesn't make any sense. Like you're, I was talking about talking to somebody about this earlier, like you're in the center of God's will and and this happens. Yeah. And so you, I think because of my ministry upbringing, you know, and all the deposits that have been put inside of me before this, I knew that this was a, this was like a big life altering moment. And this was yeah. a big life altering moment in the spiritual, like in the spiritual realm, you know, like, right. like there's something that has just shifted in the spiritual. And so, um, I felt a couple of weird things. I felt like there was like all of Christendom essentially was like leaning in and going, how's this guy going to respond? Mm. I felt like it was one of those moments where, you know, when, when, when Jesus says, if you acknowledge me before the, you know, before the world yeah. and I'll acknowledge you before the father, yeah. that, that whole, yeah. I felt that. And it was like, yeah, this is a moment where I can choose to go into this spiral of despondence and re respond, or this is a moment where I can put Jesus on display yeah, and then we can step away from here and we can, we can figure out like how to grieve this part of it probably is my personality too. Like that, as I've researched later, if they've, you know, I've found that like Enneagram threes tend to kind of take control and drive hmm. in pain and suffering. Like the, yeah. there's a lot of clarity oftentimes with threes of going, okay, this is where we're going to go and this is what we're going to do. And I can see that tendency in me at that time. I think what's interesting is now we've had so many different, looking back on it, you have so many different uh, ways of seeing, you know, what, what maybe you did right, what maybe you did wrong, that sort of mm -hmm. deal. I feel like it, you know, now I know, Hey, maybe there needs to be some time before you communicate that you forgive somebody. But I had been impacted by a few things up to that moment uh, profoundly that made me uh, feel like it was right to choose and step into 
um, trying to walk in forgiveness. And a couple of them were this one. Um, I preached a message on forgiveness. I don't remember how many months before Amanda passed away, but I remember that message as I was studying for it profoundly impacting me. And it was, you know, the whole passage where, um, Peter comes to Jesus says, how many times should I forgive my brother? You know, seven times, yeah, seven times. And Jesus 77, 77 or 70 times seven. And, and like the, the basis behind that message that I preached was if you have experienced forgiveness, it's a spiritual Mm. impossibility not to also extend it. It was this idea of like being a conduit for God's forgiveness. Right. Right. And when I got done preaching that message, I was like, man, that was a really good message. Right. But when something happens where you are now faced with that, it's like these moments are the moments where you go, are you just preaching this stuff or do you actually believe it? Like, are you living it? Mm. And, you know, for me, it just happened to be in an extreme situation where I was confronted with that reality. Yeah. And again, I'll reference back to how I came to know Christ was the fact that, you know, this guy said, Jesus was murdered for your sin and for my sin. And then immediately I hear father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. You know, that like I, that was how I experienced the forgiveness of Jesus was under the, under the context of the fact that my sin, that I'm a murderer, that my sin murdered Jesus. And so that was profoundly impacting. And then at the same time, the other thing that had been profoundly impacting up to this point was Jim and Elizabeth Elliot's story. And like the, like, Elizabeth choosing to go back into minister to this tribe that murdered her husband, killed her husband. Right. Yeah. And you know, their story, their dating and courtship story was profound for me in learning how to be content in singleness before I met Amanda. I read a couple of her books and their like journal entries back and forth. And so I had just kind of followed their story was as a young, you know, grew up in the Christian world. Like, like, you know, um, feeling very uh, like looking up to all of these biblical heroes of the faith right. who, you know right. what I mean? Like Corey Ten Boom and all those kinds yes. of things. And so I think it's just, it made me recognize in that moment, like this is, this is one of those stories. Like I'm a part of one of those stories mm. and I get, I, I do have a choice on how I'm going to respond in this. And I know that might not make a lot of sense to people, but you know, at that moment I was like, forgiveness is a choice. I don't feel it right now, mm. but I, but I'm going to choose to step into it and I'm going to let the Holy spirit do his work over the next several months and years. And however long it takes for me to really truly be able to look on these men with compassion, the same way Jesus does on us in the middle of our sin. I'm yeah. not there yet. <laughs> I don't know if right. I'll ever be there yet, but yeah. I do know that I have been profoundly impacted by choosing to walk in forgiveness and I've um, not allowed bitterness to mm. rot my own soul. Mm. And, and so now there are certainly times when I feel like I've got to revisit that. And I'm like, yeah, you know, if I, if I see a, a picture or a news article or, you know, at this point in this recording, we've still not had the trial. So I have no idea right. how my emotions are going to respond in the middle of that trial. Right. Right. And forgiveness does have to happen especially in the face, I mean, you know, especially in the face of evil rising up against your family, right? 
forgiveness <laughs> has to happen probably again and again and again right, and again right. and again and again. And as you know, and as the listeners know, that doesn't mean you're giving permission or saying it's okay. Exactly. You're not it's abdicating a, them of right, the consequences right. of this or the gravity of the offense. That's not what it's doing. I think it's actually um, acknowledging real true forgiveness acknowledges the gravity of the offense. That's right. And yet at the same time, uh, participates in God's invitation to ultimately set the world right. And the way yeah. you set a fence right, the way you do it in the spiritual is not by, you know, repaying evil with evil, right? But it's repaying evil with good. Yeah. That's what scripture tells us. And so, yeah. you know, as much as it doesn't like, I know it seems so heroic and noble to say that, but really, <laughs> truly, I just... Like I want to align myself with scripture. I want to align yeah. myself with God's ways because I know that that's where there's satisfaction. That's where there's life. That's where there's fulfillment. Yeah. That's where yeah. in any season you can thrive yeah. is when you align yourself with God's word. And so to be you know, bitter and resentful and all of that, it's what you want to do. It's what I want to do. It's carnal. It's natural. Of course, but, natural. But it's, it's just not a way to live. So I, I didn't yeah. want them taking any more from me than what they mm. already had to. You know, yeah, and almost to hold, almost to allow them to control your emotions and your bitterness. That almost does give them yeah. that power that you don't want them exactly. to have. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So it's paradoxical. It still doesn't make really, sense which, to me. Yeah. Right. I just knew that, like, man, I've got to talk about Jesus when I was on those news. I've got to talk about Jesus, and I'm surprised. Yeah. Like, I think GMA allowed me to say Jesus nine times, which <laughs> you know, it was like. Wow, they got they let me share the gospel and yeah, you know, at the end and of the day, and it sounds like Amanda would have loved that. Yes, and that's exactly and that's what that's what I want people to understand is that her heart was Jesus on display. Yeah, that's what she wanted more than yeah. anything else. And um, you know, so while some people may be enraged by um, my response, or they might be confused by my response. I know the heart of, you know, my late wife and yeah. I feel like that I was walking in a way that would make Jesus proud and that would make yep. her proud. And that's we enough for me. Her. Yeah. 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 And at the end of the day, that's who you have to answer to the right. Lord and then your own memory of your late wife. There was also a couple of really big moments that, and, and this is really, this is essential for, especially nothing is wasted community to understand is that when we were in the hospital, in the 24 hour period where we're waiting test results, I was sitting on one side of Amanda's bed and her sister was sitting on the other. And, um, we knew if Amanda was conscious, like, or if she was, she was unconscious, but if she was aware, if she would, could hear us, she would want to listen to, um, elevation worship. Mm. That was like, that was what she did when she ran all the time. That's what she wanted to listen to. So we put on a phone, Pandora radio station, elevation worship. Well, you know how Pandora radio works. It's yep. random, right? You don't get to choose what song comes up. Yeah. The very first song that came up was Nothing is Wasted Come on. by Elevation Worship. Come on. And it's like there are moments that God steps into these spaces yeah. of tragedy where you, you is very real. And yeah. Amber and I just kind of looked at each other in that moment. And it's like God whispered to both of us, I'm not going to waste this. Yeah. And so we knew whatever happened out of this, there was going to be something profound in the spiritual that like, 
Amanda's life was so amazing and she was so pure and it was so valuable. It's almost like in Hebrews when it talks about like the martyrs that like this world was not worthy of them. Like that's what Mm. it felt like. Yeah. And so it's like, if this is going to happen to somebody like this, there has got to be a ripple effect. Yeah. God's going to use it. That God's going to use this in a very, very profound way. And so that's really where this nothing is wasted idea came from was that moment. And, you know, of course we've talked about Amanda's restoring her furniture and that kind of thing, Mm -hmm. but that's where, you know, this, this whole theme of going, okay, God, what do you, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? But the, the immediate aftermath of that, after kind of the media frenzy died down and I spent, I spent some time in South Carolina with some folks. I spent some time, um, you know, bouncing around from house to house because, you know, my, now my house was a crime scene and wow. I wasn't going to go back into my house. I wasn't going to go live there. And so we're trying to find a place for Weston and I to live. So we lived with some people in our church for a little bit. We, you know, found a temporary home for about four or five months that we were able to live in. And, um, but there were, there were moments, especially uh, I'll, I'll, re- I'll re- recall being at this family's house, um, that were in our church and I just could, I couldn't get off of the couch. Mm. Like I was absolutely physically, every fiber of my body was in pain Yeah, and I was, you know, throwing up. I was, it was, Mm. and it was the best way to describe it is it was grief manifesting itself in, in physical, you know, um, the physical realm. And so I just, I just remember th- like thinking that I can't live like this. I can't do this. Mm. I don't know what, how do I do this? And I, I texted, um, I was on the couch and I texted Levi Lesko, Pastor Levi Lesko of Fresh Life Church, because he had reached out. He had found out that Amanda and I had somehow heard a message that he did about losing his daughter. And so when all this went, you know, kind of national, he found my number somehow, got it from somebody, reached out. So I texted him and I just said, I can't live. I don't know how I'm going to live like this. Mm, yeah. And he just had a couple of pieces of advice for me that in that moment that just was so helpful. It didn't take away the pain. It didn't take, but it's like, man, somebody else has experienced loss Yes. at such a heart, heart wrenching level like this, um, yeah. unexpected, senseless loss. And, and he, he kind of became a little bit of a mentor mm. with walking through the next several months. So I know Davey from experience that grief um, goes in seasons and they're not always cyclical and they're not always, you know, you don't always just level up from one station right. to the next in grief. Right. Grief can feel heavy and yeah. um, leave you on the couch. Like you were talking about yeah. grief feels like gravity sometimes keeping you down. At what point um, in your grieving journey, did you start to feel a little bit of hope mm-hmm. arrive again? Yeah. Well, you know, so I was on the couch. That was kind of December of that, of 2015. And then I remember getting back in the pulpit, so to speak, to preach at the end of January. I preached one message at the end of December, but I got back in to start Davey, preaching. And I that, feel like we need to pause and yeah, just Yeah, that say, may have been, you know, you, you know I look back on a lot of this <laughs> stuff and it's like, that might have been a mistake. Yeah. But I, I had advice a lot of different ways. Um, to me, honestly, Aubrey, it felt like I needed to do war in the spiritual Like I, like I felt like that the enemy had taken something from me and the way that I could do war or battle against him was to win people for Christ. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I needed an outlet. And so it kind of became a counseling session every week for me. 
you know, mm. um, those who were a part of resonate at the time, they, they, they probably felt it. I mean, that was probably every message I was at some point wow. found tears, you know, at some point I was, I was there, I was a weeping mess at some point in the message, mm. but it was cathartic for me. And it also felt like I was taking back territory again. And so yeah. at the same time, I wish I had had some kind of like, like, I wish there was somebody who had gone through this exact thing before and was further along in the path and could have kind of mentored me through this because there were some pitfalls that I didn't see. Um, I'll get to that in a second, but the, you know, essentially a lot of people all over the country um, began to kind of wrap their arms around me. You know, there were a lot of people praying. We felt that tangibly. There were so many people that were supportive. And then there were some folks who were heroes of mine um, mm. that reached out and said, Hey, why don't you come spend some time with me or let me, and just walked me in that, in some of these processes, Levi Lesko being one of those, uh, Bob right. Goff being another one. And so he's awesome. There were just some really pivotal moments with some of these folks, um, uh, in the first several months in, in March of that year, I went and did a week long intensive, uh, counseling down in Florida mm. with Dr. John Walker, incredible counselor to pastors. And then wow. in April of that year, 2016, I went to Israel. That uh, New Spring was doing a trip to Israel, and the pastor at the time invited me to come along with them. And it was there, Aubrey, that I began to feel like life was coming back into me, like mm. just walking the places that Jesus walked, kind of wow. seeing the meta narrative of Scripture. You know that just seeing it in re where where it took place yeah, wow. was so profound for me to see, okay, I am a small little blip on the radar caught up mm. in this major thing. And that just gave, gave me some perspective. And so perspective, yeah. I say that like, you know, my world started going from gray to color again in that trip to Israel. And God spoke to me in some really profound ways, just whispering hope and, and purpose in my future. And uh, throughout the rest of that year, I would begin to, well, I did an interview at New Spring that April. We got back from Israel and I did an interview where interview style for a message. And it just, okay, okay. it was, it, I mean, it was widely attended. And I knew that that was the moment <laughs> that would open up the doors where people would begin asking me to share the story. So it was a very wrestling moment. Wow. I'm like, I don't know if I want to do this yet. I don't know if I'm ready for this, but I right, knew Right, because once I start, the floodgates are going to open Exactly, there. especially once I do it on this big of a stage with 30,000 mm. people in attendance, and then who knows how many hundreds of thousands watching because they had yep. news cameras live streaming it and stuff. Wow, so Davey. It was very crazy. It was, it was crazy. The Lord showed up in profound ways, and I felt like in Israel told me, you're ready for this. I want you to step into it. So, okay. so I did. And so for the rest of that year, there were several different opportunities that were coming up. Well, the, the travel, traveling to do this, um, it began to leave a vacuum of leadership at our church. And it right. began to set up this tension um, where I started feeling like there was a, in some ways, a war between resonate church and nothing is wasted. And there, there were a couple reasons for it. I didn't feel it at first. And I felt like we were all kind of as a church embracing, like God's given us this new calling as well. And we were trying to figure out how those two things worked in tandem, but there were a couple profound moments. Um, a mentor of mine, who's a pastor in Atlanta, I was having dinner with him one night and he asked me, he said, if you had to choose between doing this traveling and speaking and sharing Amanda's story and pastoring resonate church, which would you choose? Wow. And it was the first time that was presented to me. Like I had to make a choice. Like there and was a choice, right? From somebody that I respected really 
tremendous, still respect. I can, he's still a mentor of mine. And I'm, I was like, and I sat there for about 10 minutes, Aubrey going, and I, I finally said, you can't make me choose. <laughs> and I told him, I said, it's like you're asking me to choose between my wife and my child. Wow. How do you choose that? Here's this thing that Amanda and I had birthed together. Right. And then here's this other thing that is doing the best I can to honor her and her death. Yeah. Like, you can't make me choose that. No, it's an impossible choice. And, yeah. and he told me that night, he said, I, I wanted you to wrestle with that because you never know. You mm. might come into that where you have to make that choice. But I also wanted for, I wanted for you to know that right now you can't, you're not able to choose. So, so let me help you try to figure out how to do this in tandem. Wow. So, um, you know, it, but you know, we started doing a podcast then in spring of 2017 and it was really an effort for me to try to, uh, I was blogging. I felt like I could talk a little bit quicker and produce more <laughs> than I could write. I love yeah. writing, but I, I thought that this would be a natural way to be able to get the message out a little bit easier, but also yeah. I wanted people to hear other people's stories. Um, I felt like I was being misunderstood. I thought, yeah, I thought I was, I felt like I was being misunderstood that people were like, how are you still doing this? And I'm like, no, you don't understand. Like I have had conversation after conversation after conversation with so many incredible people with stories of suffering and faith and resilience and redemption. And that's where I'm borrowing my faith from. I want you to also borrow your faith from them. So let me, let me get in on conversation. Let me get you in on this conversation. And that's kind of how the nothing is wasted podcast birth. Well, that was, you know, that, that was great, but it continued to present this tension between especially question, the questions of where does Davey spend his time? Yep. You know, and it's a valid question, you know, cause yep. it's, where's it, his energy right now going consistently having to manage that and yeah. go, okay, is it feasible to pastor this growing congregation, which at the time, the aftermath of Amanda's death caused what I would call dumb growth to our church. Yeah. And we, um, I call it dumb growth because it was not growth that was necessarily strategically built in. There wasn't an infrastructure and then God made the increase. That's not how it happened. It was increased because of a tragedy. Right. And, and, and curiosity following the story. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And no doubt there was, there were unbelievable things that God did. Like, people meeting Jesus and finding healing and all this. I mean, it was this profound. And I was like, I was so conflicted because I was so excited about what God was doing in our church. And yet Mm. the reality every week that Amanda would have loved to have seen this and she Mm. was not able to see it, you know? Um, And of course I tell myself things like, Oh, she's got the best seat in the house, that kind of thing to help you. (laughs) But just the, the weight of that and, and you're going, why do I feel so excited about what God is doing out of this. And yet I'm at the same time feeling so grieved and heavy out of how it happened, you know? Yeah. And it's this just tension that I continued to, to live with and try to manage. Um, and so because it was kind of dumb growth, we just, we didn't have leadership infrastructure in place up to the point of Amanda's death. We, there, most of the people in our church, not all of them, but many, many, many of them, a large majority had received Christ at Resonate. Wow. And we were the ones discipling them. And so when Amanda passed away and then I was absent, now the primary disciplers and and in many ways almost the sole disciplers of the church were were absent. 
Right, right. As the church is continuing to grow. As the church is growing and you're grieving and so much, yeah, so much. And and nothing is wasted as being born. Yeah. Exactly. When um, we get back, let's keep talking about that because I want to hear more about, um, yeah, I'm sure what was a very painful separation from the church and how God uh, was there in the middle of it all. Hey, I just want to take a short break, and this entire episode has been talking about why we started Nothing Is Wasted, the impetus behind it, inspiration behind it, and also talking about and alluding to the fact that in my own pain journey, I wish I had had a manual, wish I had had a a guide, wish I had had just like this path that was laid out for me, and that this is the reason that we have Nothing Is Wasted, the reason we started it, the reason that we want to continue to do more and more and more to help you live, learn, and lead through your pain. So I just want to take a brief moment and highlight some of those things in case you're new listening to this for the first time, or if one of these things, it becomes very clear to you that you need to step into one of these things. So first of all, I want to point you to our community groups platform. It's really important to be journeying your trial, your valley with other people who are also in the same valley as you. And that's what we're trying to make available to you with Nothing Is Wasted community groups. It's free to join. We've got all kinds of different community groups and they're tailored to the specific valley that you're walking through, your specific pain journey. So make sure you check those out. Also want to point you to the Pain to Purpose course. This is the step-by-step process that we have created out of um, thousands, it seems like, hours of interviewing other people and overlaying their pain journeys with our pain journey, finding the common denominators between all of those and bringing bringing them to you in one curated path. That's the pain to purpose course. We would love for you to journey that with us. And if you want to have somebody help you walk through that, you can check out our nothing is wasted coaching where you have a guide that will actually help you walk through the entirety of the pain to purpose course. Check that out. Um, And then finally, I want to point you to the additional content that we provide for our monthly partners. This is a $20 or more tax-deductible donation that you can make to the ministry of Nothing Is Wasted. And by doing so, you gain access to tons of additional content. So if you can't get enough of the interviews and the stories and the content that we're producing, we're giving to you for free, opt in for this. It helps us to grow as a ministry. It helps us to know how to bring people on board, uh, staff members, continue to strategize about the future of this to help more and more people. And it also is a tax deductible donation for you and you receive a lot of value adding content to your life. Got all kinds of stuff there. You can go and check out all of these things at nothingiswasted.com. Now let's jump back to my conversation with Aubrey Sampson. We're back, and I'm excited because Miss Christy Blackburn is here. Hi, Christy. Hey, <laughs> thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Um, Christy was interviewed by Davey on the 100th episode of Nothing Is Wasted, where they talked about her life story. Mm-hmm. And then on the second birthday episode, so just one year ago, um, they talked about how they met, which I love. I'm going to go back and listen to that because I thought that's a really great story of what God did and the yeah. love he birthed between you. Yes, for sure. Um, 
just before we broke, we were talking about kind of the tension that was rising between Nothing is Wasted and Resonate Church at the time. And so I'd love for you, Davey, to talk a little bit more about that season. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, there were a couple things that were really driving me forward in all of this. Um, one was, you know, Aubrey, you and all the listeners need to understand, I didn't have a manual for how to heal through any of this stuff. Right. Nobody right. really does. There, there's not one out there. There's a lot of good grief books and a lot of stuff, you know, which is part of the reason why we're doing what we're doing now with nothing is wasted. Is we want to provide kind of that manual for people that we didn't have. Yeah. But yeah. essentially I told God, yes, that's what I told him. I just said, God, I can't heal myself. So whatever you want me to do, however you want to lead me along. Yes. And so, you know, any of those traveling decisions and stuff like that were just, you know, me saying yes to these, these things that God was doing. And, and it was so healing and cathartic for me. But at the same time, as we talked about, it set up this, this tension where, yeah. you know, I would, I'd be gone a lot of times during the week and then I'd come back and I'd preach on a Sunday, but there was a vacuum of leadership that, yeah. you know, it, it was impossible to try to figure out how to manage both of those things. And so... We, um, we made a decision, uh, about the end of 2017 that we needed to, and this was, you know, right kind of converging with when Christy and I were getting very, really serious. We knew we were going to get married, that mm -hmm. we needed to hire somebody to come in and be an executive pastor to really lead the church, all of the managerial stuff that essentially I was handling so that my role could shift to being more the vision caster and the the main communicator. Okay. And that would sort of free you up to exactly. continue traveling and speaking, but there'd be someone on the ground. Exactly. And that was yeah. the idea was recognizing this is important to manage both of these things. And someone told me that, that, you know, that's the move that, that it's un it's, it's, it's not very common for a church of 300 or so, you know, to do that, to make that move that early, but yeah. in our situation yeah. that that would be, probably the only way that we would be able to manage that tension. And, and so we did. So we hired an executive pastor and um, things seemed to be going really well throughout the, you know, 2018. Um, yet the entire time, it seemed like for whatever reason, the, the church as a whole, you know, staff, volunteers, leadership, attendees struggled with um, kind of me starting to remove myself from some of those responsibilities. Right. Um, and that, and that's what it seemed like. That's what it was, you know, that was my perspective on it, that the more I tried to remove myself, the more, uh, the church kind of became inextricably fused mm. to me mm. and to the tragedy. And that became yeah. discouraging, you know, one, yeah. because it was like inadvertently we had created this church around a personality, um, right. which is not what you want to do. And, right. So, you know, there were a lot of conversations about that where we were trying to strategically move things in a different way that executive pastor and I had, but it, we, it came to August of 2018 and Christy and I were at this place where we we're going, God, like, we don't know how we can keep doing both of these things and, yeah. you know, be healthy in our marriage, be healthy in trying to blend a family, all of the stressors yeah. that are involved with all of that. How do we, and, you know, to be honest with you, I, um, I don't think I've ever shared this, but I w had begun wrestling with the fact that one of these things was going to have to, um, I would have to give up one of these things. And I thought that nothing is wasted was the thing. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. 
I I really f- had this feel like God was, and it was one of those like, man, God, if you if you ask me to give up something, I'm sure you're going to ask me to give up. Nothing is wasted. Right, right. Part not of the it church. Was, Certainly not the right, church. Mm-hmm. Part of it was birthed out of this, like not knowing. Christy's always been incredible with nothing is wasted stuff because even though it was birthed out of my late wife's passing, you know, and that's what drew me to her was that she was championing that, but it was like, how much longer can this last? Can she, you know, how much longer can we kind of stay in this season of me sharing the story and she be okay with this? You know, is it, am I going to have to give this up? And so, you know, we went away in August on vacation and we just prayed about it together. We said, God, it just seems like there's this tension between the two and we're constantly fighting this battle and there's mm-hmm. constant frustration over, you know, if I've traveled too much and or whatever, and what yeah. do we do? And and we felt like the Lord said, we w- I want you to give it a year. Frustration with the people at church, right? Not right. between us, yeah. No, yeah, not yeah. between us. Frustration between the, yeah, the people at, at church if I was absent. Mm-hmm. And they were frustrated that you were gone. That and I was gone. Yeah, yeah. And particularly, and it yeah. makes sense because you need a leader on the ground to lead. Yeah, you want your lead. senior pastor there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the staff they, needs it, and the yeah. leadership needs yes. it. And yes, we recognize especially that if you're need. the prime visionary, right? Like yes. exactly, you have to be there moving things forward. But we had this tension too. It's like we also have the big C church as well, mm-hmm. and there's a story. That's right. And people are getting a lot of healing from it. So can we do both? And why can't yeah. we do both? And and how do we do both? Right. And Yeah. Yeah. Well, and simultaneous to that, over the course of 2018, as we made this switch with an executive pastor, um, Resonate Church began to um, grow backwards. We were making a lot of shifts and it began to shrink in attendance. It began to shrink in giving. It began to Hmm. shrink. Um, There were some, you know, some staff members that had been with us basically the whole time that decided it was their time to move on. Oh, wow. And it just became really difficult to kind of, you know... um, process all of that all happening at once. And it felt like that whenever we stepped into nothing is wasted spaces, God was giving this breath to it. And there was some profound impact and it, and it's hard to explain because there were so many good things still going on at resonate and people's lives were being changed, but it felt like things were drying up. And we were like white knuckling our way to finding health. Like we were asking all these pastors, like, what do we do? And one of them said, like, you need a a skeleton and a structure. Like you need to get your elders like on board and get that going. So we were doing elder training. I mean, Mm -hmm. we were full tilt just going at it, trying to figure out how to make the church healthy. When we, when we heard the Lord say, give it a year, it was kind of that parable where it was like the vine, the the vine vineyard owner comes back and the vine dresser's like, Hey, give me one more year. And, and, you know, we'll, we'll try to, dig around the roots and pour some manure around this thing and get this tree to grow. Don't cut it down yet. And that's kind of what it felt like. And so we came back from that trip in August. We said, we're going full tilt on this thing. We started doing elder training programs. We started trying to figure out, you know, what is the, what is it going to look like to build this mission that's not around us? Mm. And um, the more we did that, the harder we worked, it seemed like the more things were dying. Wow. And so it was November of that year of 2018 Um, I was, we were at a family gathering and, um, my uncle came up to me, random conversation. And I don't even know how we got on it, but I think he was hearing me talk about some of the things that I was excited about with nothing is wasted. Some of the stuff that was kind of growing out of the podcast. Yeah. And he just goes, I think that you guys are transitioning. 
Now, he's a pastor of a really large church. He's seen this. He's like very, you know, he's been a mentor in my life for a long time. He just said, yeah. I just see God has something different for you guys. And, and you're like, no, we have the year. Yeah. Yes. And we, I mean, we walked. <laughs> We've said that. Yep. That's exactly <laughs> yes. right. And we walked out of that house that night. Like, I remember walking to the car. I'm like, no, like, there's just absolutely no way. Like, yeah. that's not even a thought in our mind. And mm-hmm. and we both looked yeah. at each other and we said, we need to do a Gideon prayer to the Lord. Yep. Mm. Like, let's do a Gideon prayer see what happens and see what the Lord tells us. And we were willing, at at first it's like our hands were clenched Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden we opened our fists up and we said, God, like, what do you want Mm -hmm. for this? Yeah. So exactly a week later, we're sitting in the church offices and we're sitting in our executive pastor's office and um, we're talking about different things. And he looks at us and he said, just kind of stops abruptly and says, how important is nothing is wasted to you guys? (gasps) And I was thinking that he was coming at it from the standpoint of like, I think it's time for you guys to give that up and focus fully right. on the church right. because that was we the tension. Was we need you yeah. here. You need to focus fully on this. Even though he and I had had conversations about the reason that he was here and he was totally owning that. He was excited about it. the reason he was here was to help me move more into the space of ministering to the big C church, carrying this story. Yeah. And, um, and I was like, well, it's really important. I mean, this is why you're here and this is what we're trying to do here. And he said, Davey, I, uh, he said, well, what, what is, what is keeping you from doing it full time? Whoa. And I said, well, like, what do you mean? (laughs) And in that conversation, he told us that he felt like that God had been drying the church up Mm. to transition us to do nothing is wasted full time. Wow. Now, I don't know how to, you know, theologically, I don't know how to wrap my mind around all of that. I know there's probably a lot of questions. Of course. Even as I state that, like, why would God dry up a church or why would, you know, and we could talk about that for hours, the theological implications of that. But he proceeded to tell us um, kind of a dream that he had, that uh, there was a tree that was planted by streams of water, which has always been a profound imagery for us when it came to Resonate Church. Uh, That tree was cut down and it fell into the water. And this log was teeming with pools of fish and some wildlife and stuff, but the, the, the tree was not going to live again unless mm. there was some kind of a shoot or some kind of a branch that came up out of it. And he said, I, I think that tree is resonate church. I think the yeah. tragedy in essence cut the, the, the tree mm. down. Yeah. But the branch or the shoot that God wants to grow out of it is nothing is wasted. Wow. Wow. And this is coming from your executive this is pastor. Coming from our, I mean, the, that uh, is a Gideon prayer, if anything. That's like, right. We, that's right. When they came on, literally, they had, I think, four or five different offers mm-hmm. at the time that they came on. And they asked, like, I remember Pepper asked us, like, what should be the reason why I come and, and why, why should we choose you guys? And I just yeah. looked at her and I said, hey, like, this is going to be really hard. It's not if it's going to get hard. It's when it gets hard. Yeah. You guys can know 100% from the Lord that you were called here. So I don't want to persuade you. I don't want to tell you anything great because it's hard. Like our ministry is hard here. Yeah. But you, I need you to feel fully 100% from the Lord that this is where you're supposed to be. So yeah. when all of this happened and I'm sitting here feeling like, oh my gosh, they've only been here a year. There's no way this can be an option. Like, And the man that I would be the most nervous about, like the family that I'd be the most be worried about, about yeah. of oh, like wow. making this decision, God gave that gift to us of him wow. saying, why are you here? And I yeah. remember 
getting chills, feeling numb. We left there, went to their house afterwards, and we spent like three to four just hours processing through all of it with wow. Pepper, with John, and just like, what does this look like? Like, what wow. what can come from this? And just like feeling like the Lord was calling us he out. Was in it, yeah. I mean, sounds like he was totally just. Yeah, releasing you in a way that was really personal for you that you needed, at least at the start, right? Right. Yes, because we're people pleasers. I mean, at the end of the day, we want to make sure everyone's okay. And sometimes we pick people over God, and that a lot of us do that. And so God knew in our people pleasing, Mm -hmm. that was the gift that he could give us. Yeah, yeah. So I still wrestled with it, and it took me about two weeks, but we were doing an Advent calendar with our kids, and the very first day of that Advent, it was Ann Voskamp's, Ann Voskamp's Advent calendar. I love that day, Advent calendar, by the way. It's, it's amazing. It's so good. The very first yeah. day, I was reading to my kids, and we read the verse in Isaiah that says, out of this out of this stump of Jesse, or out of the... Um, uh, yeah, out of the stump of Jesse will come a branch or a shoot. But it actually, the way it phrased, was out of the household of David... <laughs> will come a shoot. Wow. And it was like the Lord right there goes, this is yeah. what I'm trying to tell you, you know, and I'm like mm. drawing stumps in my journal, like trying to get my head around, like what is God trying to communicate to us over here? But it was in that moment that I knew God was calling us to step away. And so, you know, we developed a transition team and we started moving in that direction. Um, and, you know, I wish, I wish I could say every, we all did everything perfectly as we were developing that transition team, but we didn't. Um, and it was difficult for everybody and it was emotionally difficult and taxing for everyone because many people had dreams that were dying in this. And of course there was a lot of trying to figure out, you know, what, where provision for families were going, was going to come from. And so, you know, Toward the very end, we had decided through some counsel from our board of overseers that we should make a dual announcement that on a Sunday we should get up, Christy and I should get up and say, uh, this is what God is leading us to. And because of this, the leadership, the elder candidates, our board of overseers, we've decided the best next step is to shut down Resonate Church. Mm. And that was the plan. And then um, Saturday before that, the transition team came over and began to uh, rework the plan. And it was all under this idea of what if Resonate Church is supposed to go on? Let's give Mm. the people kind of the option for that. See if God will move. See if God wants to birth something. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Aubrey, that tugged on my heartstrings a lot. Absolutely. How would it not? I should, we should have just stayed probably mm-hmm. just stayed with the course of what was advised to us. But I feel like I made a big leadership mistake there. And I said, you know what, if resonate church can live on without us, then I'll resign. Yeah. And, um, so that was the plan. So that Sunday I resigned, um, and publicly, this was in front of the church. Yep, you resigned. Publicly, I resigned okay. that Sunday in front of the church. And, um, and then we found out the next Sunday that, uh, the transition team had made the decision to go ahead and close the church. And I don't know why we still don't know why completely that, um, pivot was made in the middle mm. of those weeks. Wow. That's quite a painful way to have to say goodbye to a church that you birthed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, um, for both of you, I can't, that must've been a really difficult season. I know that you, um, love a lot of people there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And so, you know, it's been, how, how long has it been since that happened, Davey and Christy? That was at the beginning of 2019. So January okay, 2019. So, so beginning of 2019, now you're grieving, yeah. walking away from your church in a way that you didn't plan to. How do you work through healing mm. from that? Well, you're right. I mean, I think the hardest thing and even the hardest thing about talking about this right now that still feels very fresh is how many people we loved and yeah. love yeah, uh, at that church. And, um, you know, the first thing we did, we knew that before we transitioned into any season of new ministry, we wanted to go and kind of flush out any toxicity that might be festering inside of us from all of this. And yeah. so we went to three weeks of counseling. Um, okay. And that was very, very good for us. Yeah. yeah. To get away and do that. Um, it was very healing, but you know, I don't, I don't think that those three weeks healed us. I didn't want to feel like I needed to justify or defend ourselves um, right. within yeah. this closing. I mean, there's a, there were so many different accusations that were just untrue. And I remember just telling Davey, like, I don't defend, but what do we, what do we do here? What's our role here? And he's like, we got to be like Jesus. When they accuse yeah. him, he stood silent. And, right. and God was our, God was our, you know, he's going to be our defender and he's going to yeah. justify it all. And, and so literally I just felt like, are we a doormat then? Like, do we just let people, you know, run over right, us? We're just going to let this happen and let yes. people say these things. Yeah. Yes. And then also our church people, like our congregation, like those were our people and mm. we can't even go and call them and say, Hey, like, this is actually what happened. Like, cause they felt betrayed right. by us and they felt like we just abandoned them. And that's a lot of church hurt right there. And I've been a church hurt and I'm sitting here thinking, I don't want them to feel like we don't care about them and love them. And yeah. we're just moving on and going our happy way and, and that yeah. we're all good. And we weren't good. Right. And they didn't understand that. And that's what was really hard. Yeah. Well, I think too, like what, you know, there's some people that when they, they choose to use social media as a diary and kind of broadcast yes. like all of the negative hurt feelings and stuff like that. And We've never been like that. I mean, we're going to use social media to communicate raw and honest and real. But, um, you know, there is a tension between that. So I think some there was probably some things that people even saw on social media where I'm a very, very optimistic person. I always have yeah. been. That's just kind of part yeah. of my personality. And some of the things that we've already talked about in this have informed my experience that in all transitions and in all tragedies, God does good out of it. Yeah. And I can look forward to that good, even while I'm grieving the the suckiness that it is. Right. And so, um, you know, I think there was times there were times that people saw our optimistic spirit moving forward and didn't see mm. behind closed doors the mourning and the grieving. They right. didn't see the you know they didn't see that afternoon that I came home and just wept in your arms. Yeah. Yeah. Because of what was happening and. Yeah. Right. And in some sense, those are, you know, those are private things you don't have to share right. publicly on social media, but then of course people kind of fill in that gap and, yes. and, right. and make their, yeah, you fill in that gap with the information that you want to, right? Yeah, but, oh, exactly. What a journey that you guys have been through, especially, I mean, that's still early on in your marriage. And right. then Davey, in the middle of all this, you were writing a book. <laughs> well, <laughs> the writing of that book, actually, what's interesting that you said that the writing of that book happened very soon after Amanda's, after we lost Amanda, after the tragedy. Oh, okay. And okay. so, and that's really weird because God like expedited that process. Like I did not ask for that, but through some very influential people just put me in that place to 
to get a, sign a publishing deal and write this book. Wow. And I now looking back on it, I'm glad that I wrote it so early. It has been very frustrating to um, having having writ, written this thing that's like this labor of love that was such a healing, cathartic thing that you yep. want so badly to get out into the world now so it can heal other people. And yep. it keeps getting pushed back, keeps getting pushed back, keeps getting pushed back. But I'm and so glad. And that's because the trial keeps getting pushed right, back. Because the trial back. keeps getting. Wow. Exactly. So there's there's that on top of it that we just want to close this chapter, and that keeps getting pushed back. Um, so it's a dual nature thing right there. But you know, I'm glad that God had me write it early because I needed to write the fresh, raw, what was like what was really fresh in yeah. in the healing process because I don't think I would have the same. Now, when I talk about the story, oftentimes it turns into like these statements that I've like concocted and these pithy <laughs> theological phrases that are helpful and true, but right. they're not the raw. And so, right. you know, so, I, and I'm so, so I'm glad I see God's hand in that, that it was early on and now it's being delayed. I still ask the question, God, why, why does this keep getting delayed? Like, what are you doing? And I think in each delay, we can look back and go, well, maybe we weren't ready or maybe the world's not ready or, you that, know, like all of right. these things where you're going, right. God's putting some pieces in place to make right. sure that we can minister to people. Well, not just inspire them, but minister yeah. to people. Well, and I think, you know, as a writer myself, there's like, sometimes there's the one person that you've written that book for, and maybe that person mm. isn't ready yet. And the yeah. Lord knows mm-hmm. like, no, this person that actually has to That's have good. that in their hands because it's going to save their life. Mm. It's yeah. for such a time as this. That might be right. part of the process too. What were you going right. to say, Christy? Yeah. Just basically with the trial too, like it's so emotional, just emotionally trying to prepare yourself in the best way you know how to, because we've only been to a couple of hearings and when we would leave there, it would be so traumatic for us. Oh, and so we would imagine. have to like yeah. process process all of that. And so then thinking through, we have a full week of to sit through in a whole day, every single day for a week. Like, so you're emotionally preparing and then all of a sudden it gets canceled again. And you, we, all of our schedule, our whole lives is based on this trial date. Mm -hmm. And so we don't do family vacations or we, our work schedule, we block Mm -hmm. off certain sections. So people don't realize to what extent, like our lives are dictated by this trial and the emotional level mm-hmm. that it's going to take on us to hear all the details that we yeah. haven't even heard before. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's sort of hanging on, hanging over your head, right. and then it comes up again, and all the emotions come up, and then yes. you have to figure out how to process it. And you've never done this before. You've never walked right. through anything like this before. Yes. Well, I just told you. We just told you, Aubrey, that we got. You know, we received the subpoena this past week. Yeah, yeah. And even that alone. The, the idea that this could possibly happen. I mean, I'm a wing four anyway, so I stare out windows a lot. <laughs> I just went <laughs> and stared out the Very window true. and I was like, yeah. are we ready for this? Yeah. Are we ready for this? You know? Yeah. So it, it is just emotionally unearthing every time something like this is. And you know, in, in one attention. sense, I'm, I'm sure it will be nice to have that next piece of the journey closed but in another sense like you are having to come face to face with this evil and this tragedy and this heartache and this stress and even the media and then reminding of the church it's like reliving it again and again and again yeah how have the two of you sort of navigated i mean you know you're newlyweds you've got a baby (laughs) how have you navigated a life together with all of this hanging over your head like what has been the healing process davy you were doing it alone and then now you've got christy um, what has been like moving forward together as a couple with all of this? 
That's uh, a very loaded question. I feel like <laughs> how much time do we have? Because that could we be don't like have a lot of time. Uh, that's a whole two podcast. Two minutes. Exactly. I know, right? It's that's crazy. what your book is going to be about, right? I know. Yeah, that's it, right? <laughs> how do you do all the things at one time? So yeah. literally, I think the be- like the best way to explain it is we were sitting through a church service, and the pastor was speaking um, about it like this test, a psychology test of all the different transitions you go through in life and giving it a score and then saying, if you hit 300, that's like a mental breakdown right giving there. Giving a score based on your stress levels, yes. like the stressors uh, of okay, that. Okay. So I'm adding up all these transitions we've had and all the stressors mm. we've had in the past year and a half of our lives. And we scored over 400. <laughs> And people all over the world, they keep on texting us, DMing us, saying, like, we are praying for you guys constantly. Mm-hmm. And I honestly feel that God's grace has gotten us through this because this Praise should God be a lot harder. And it is hard. I mean, it's very hard. Yeah. But this should be like mental breakdown. Like, I can't even function. And we have right. a ministry that we're doing trying to help people navigate this. And so yeah. the biggest yeah. thing for us, like, how do we even pour out? I feel like our heartbeat in this ministry is that we have the power of the Holy Spirit. And I feel like he's working through that. And through the stories that we're having, you know, the transformations that we've been seeing. But I think the biggest thing for us to be emotionally healthy is like, how do we pour out from something that's nothing? And so we've Mm. been having to make sure we're meeting with the Lord regularly that, you know, that we, our first ministry is our kids over everything. So that's why I stepped away. Now Davey can fully give himself to the ministry and I can't be as involved in, and we just go to counseling a lot. And I think that's really helped (laughs) us. Good for you. Yes. To talk things out because this isn't, normal like this isn't like everybody mm. goes through this like no this who, is not like yes. you graduate from college and then you get married <laughs> yes. I mean, this is like yeah there's yeah. a lot there's a lot yeah so we in order to go into the next season of life in a new season you have to transition well in, in, in a healthy way and so mm. each transition we make sure that we're like okay let's process through this because this is a lot and we've been very yeah. intentional in each of those transitions and and very intentional with our kids as well yeah yeah. Maybe you guys have a marriage book next. Maybe that's oh. the maybe that's marriage through <laughs> marriage through difficulty. Marriage through fire. Yeah. Forged yeah. in the fire. <laughs> um, Davey, let me ask you just a couple more questions if that's yeah. all right. Do you still feel like I mean, I know grief is a journey. Do you still feel like you're doing trauma work related to losing Amanda um specifically right now? You know, I, I think I need to do some trauma work specifically related to the medical side of it. Mm. You know, I mean, I think the only thing, the only time I feel major triggers is when something medically, uh, looks, smells, feels like what I experienced when I walked in to find her, or if there's a threat to another one of my family members or something, you know, or, or at least a perceived threat, like, you know, oh no, yeah. the kids, one of our kids is sick. And now I go to a heightened degree of concern and worry for that kid mm-hmm. over a mild grade fever mm. because, well, this, you know, I lost a, someone I never thought I would lose. I would lose. And if that happened before, what, what could happen again? Yeah. So sure, I think it's sure. those kinds of things that, yeah, I'm still having to do some uh, trauma related type work. And we were both talking about doing some EMDR before COVID hit and um, you know, we actually got some advice from somebody about EMDR that during a season like COVID, it's not the best time to do EMDR. So we're still both planning on doing uh, (laughs) biblically based EMDR, EMDR, but yeah, you're not supposed to do anything big (laughs) during crisis and COVID is definitely a crisis. So, but yeah, you know, I think that for the most part, I feel like I have, 
you know, if you were to put a percentage on it, which is really hard, I would say I would probably, I'm probably 90 to 95% healed. Would you say that's accurate from, uh, I would just say like, honestly, God just put a healing hand and he just provided situations where Davey was obedient and stepped into those situations. And as heart wrenching as each situation was, you just allowed yourself to do that. And he's just done it in a healthy way. Honestly, I think the hurt that I still wrestle with is just, is the church. Yeah. That to me is the ones that, the one that keeps cropping up. Yeah. yeah, that's what I was just thinking. And, and um, you know, obviously that's the work the Lord wants mm-hmm. to keep doing with the two of you. But it does seem like there's an invitation there yeah. from God to do some more healing work. Because that yep. feels very raw, even just hearing you both talk about it now. Yeah, yeah. yeah it is. Um, hey, uh, Davey, this has been a marathon for you <laughs> to talk about this stuff. And so yeah. thank you for being vulnerable, especially with me, my first time uh, co-hosting. <laughs> You're Nothing so is good at this. <laughs> so thanks for, and Christy, thanks for being here and sharing kind of your version of the story too. I know this will minister to all the listeners. I know there's probably a lot more to say, but I I love seeing how God, from the very beginning of your journey, used that theme of his suffering Mm, and his invitation in suffering and even his redemption of suffering to draw you to himself and you just see how your whole life the Lord has been continuing to invite you deeper into that theme and now use both of you to minister to other people Mm. in that way specifically. That just speaks so beautifully to the kindness of God. And um, anyway, so I'm grateful. Well, you know, I mean, Henry Henry Nouwen talks about wounded healers and I feel Mm -hmm. like that's the invitation that we're all invited into out of our pain is, you know, yeah, we're going to walk around with a little bit of a limp, but we're going to continue to heal. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, we're going to heal other people, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. And it's not us that heals. It's the Holy spirit. It's, it's God's work that heals it, but we get to be a partner in that. I thought Aubrey did an incredible job carrying that conversation. I'm so thrilled that she is our new official co-host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. Uh, I'm also grateful to you as uh, a community of listeners that you would allow me to get vulnerable and honest and and transparent and raw. And, um, you know, there are several moments in that conversation where uh, I was feeling very emotional and, um, I think I like to hide behind at being the one asking the questions. Sometimes it's a lot easier to do that than it is to talk um, in a very vulnerable way about your, your own experience and things that are going on. But I will say it is very healing as well. So I want to encourage you to continue to talk through your story of pain, talk through your story of trauma, because there's healing in it as you run into it. And as you um, begin to put language around it. So Aubrey, thank you so much for, for helping me and helping Christy to put some language around this and for driving that conversation. Uh, we next week have a, a, a phenomenal interview with Matt Hammett and you will hear from Brittany Brooker as the guest co-host for the entire month of June. And then Aubrey will be back for her first official co-hosting episode in July. It's going to be awesome. I'm so glad to have her on board excited about the things that we're going to get to talk about and the perspective that she's going to bring. I want to thank Sleeping at Last for providing all the music for this episode. You can go listen to his music anywhere music can be downloaded and streamed. 
and make sure you check out some of the new stuff that he has coming out. I think he has a podcast now, so go check out the Sleeping at Last podcast. And uh, before we sign off, why don't you listen to this clip from our interview next week with Matt Hammett. In 2010, that song was, that album was just about to come out. And a month before that album came out, my wife and I went into, or actually, I'm sorry, no, it was actually a month after the album came out. My wife and I went to our 20-week ultrasound for our third child and um, found out that day two things, which was number one, we found out that our little girls were going to get their their first little brother. Hmm. So that was super exciting. We actually had our oldest with us. But we also found out that day that our little boy only had half of a heart. 